0: Greetings, friends, and welcome back, or welcome to the High Flyers podcast. The show, the curious ones, the ones that want to learn to fly high from individuals creating value in a variety of industries and roles, to learn about their sunrise, their magic moments, their hustle, and a load of golden nuggets and insights to help you be 1% better every day. And I'm your host, Virita Garawa. In this episode, we take flight with Maynark Tar. If i had to pick someone that motivates me and has influenced the way I think and look at work and life, Maynark would definitely be one of the people at the top of that list. This was a candid conversation here at Maynark's upbringing in various parts of India and Canada, attending nine schools during this period, his love for storytelling from a young age that has now morphed into writing books that are bestsellers Starting his career in the FMCG and consumer world with Procter & Gamble, 25 years ago, that really started from a desire to have an impact and make real stuff for passionate people. I love his perspective and personal journey on leadership, whether it be helping others succeed or leading teams in various cultures and geographies, as he has in Asia, Australia and the Middle East, and so many more actionable insights from his journey to date you ready to fly high? A big welcome to the show, Menak. I'm absolutely delighted to have you join. I've followed you for some time and I love the way you think and the way you go about life and you've had a quite a diverse journey to date. So welcome.
1: Oh, thanks so much, Vedit. Really like the idea behind your podcast of people sharing stories and learning from each other. So really happy to be
0: here and thanks for having me. Pleasure. Um, we, we like getting started on the show with with the guest sunrise, their early journey, and I guess what formed them to the person they are today. I know, doing some research, you had quite a quite a varied journey where you lived in a few countries as well. Um, what what was that like growing up?
1: Well, I guess it uh, my dad was in the government, so I had a pretty nomadic childhood. Um, I was born in the extreme northeast part of India in a place called Nagaland. Lived in Sikkim, which is you know near the China border. Moved to Delhi when I was five or six years old. Then we moved to Canada, where we lived for almost four to five years and then came back to Delhi where I finished my school and college. So by the time I finished my uh, education, I'd been through nine different schools and of course, multiple homes. And I think that experience um, played a big role in shaping me into the person I am. I guess it taught me, first of all, adaptability. I mean, at that time, to be honest, it wasn't always fun because every couple of years, you're the new kid in school. But over time, I really learned the joys of that, that, you know, you're exploring new things, you're learning more about yourself. Uh, And over time, I realized when I'm outside my comfort zone, uh, it's actually good because I feel I'm stretching myself and learning. I think the second thing it taught me was to be completely non-judgmental and really accept diversity, know that sometimes people are just different. You don't have to bucket them into good or bad. So, you know, when I first moved to Delhi as a five or six year old kid, I never lived in a big city. I didn't speak Hindi. And I remember that some kids were really welcoming and it didn't matter to them where I was from. And from some kids, you know, I was the strange kid from the mountains. And I went to Canada. First kid from India in my class. This was in the early to mid 80s. Again, some kids are amazingly welcoming. And for some kids, it was like, hey, where's this guy come from? And, you know, I'd get a question in uh, class like, hey, did you have an elephant at home? And I, and I came back from uh, Canada after a few years, and I was in my teenage years. I'd spent, you know, four or five years there, had a bit of an accent. And again, for some kids, it didn't matter. But some kids were, hey, who's the strange foreign return kid with this accent? And I remember thinking at that point, I was 14 or 15 years old, that I'm the same person. And uh, basically, when you make judgments about others because they're different, it reflects more on you than on them. And, uh, you know, as I've grown in my life, worked across cultures, lived in different places, it's only reinforced that, that don't rush to judgment, accept people for who they are, go beyond superficial differences. Uh, and I think the third thing really is my love for storytelling. Uh, you know, growing up as a young kid, when you're moving every couple of years, in that day and age of no social media, no internet, no video games, you know, I developed a love for reading and uh, soon that turned into a love for making up stories of my own and uh, that became an integral part of my life. So I think that was kind of my upbringing and in many ways it shaped me into who I am. And uh, the final thing I'll add is really the importance of family. Uh, When you're moving around that much, your family, I mean it was my mom, my dad, my older brother, that's kind of your safety blanket, that's uh, where you come back to, where you have problems, that's your bouncing uh, board for when you're Talking of ideas, when you have things on your mind, so really the importance of family and uh, uh, how important and how valuable a tightly knit family and a uh, secure family environment can be. And you know, now that I'm a father myself and I'm married, I mean, those are values that are really important to me.
0: Mm. And and what was young Mayank like? Like, what were some of your passions and some of your idols? Uh, well, young Manak, uh, in, a, in a nutshell, I mean, when
1: I was young, I'd say <laughs> I was a bit of a troublemaker. Uh, and know, it's because, I, I mean, I, I'll tell you some, some stuff I did. So I, I, as I said, I had an overactive imagination. I used to love making up stuff. Um, so my mom would find all these messages written in secret code in the fridge. Uh, once I, uh, I think I was 10 or 11 years old, I wrote a diary about how the world ended. And I think it was a combination of a meteor strike, an alien invasion, and volcanic eruption. And I, of course, played a big role in, you know, resurrecting the human race. So I wrote it all down and I dug up our front yard and I buried it, (laughs) hoping to mess with the minds of future historians. Um, So, you know, I I had an imaginary friend for much of grade seven and eight, a guy called Freddie who'd sit next to me in French class. Uh, So I was somebody who was always, you know, a bit marching to his own drumbeat, uh, and I was really lucky, I think, to have parents who indulge that. I mean, they were able to see beyond that and see that, you know, uh, um, there's a spark there of somebody who has imagination, who has creativity, and uh, especially my mom, I think she really encouraged and fostered that.
0: Yeah, and and, and, and I'm be curious to ask about the influence of Canada as well. I think that's quite unique to your story where you got to experience a very different culture, a different country. Do you think looking back, that gave you a sense of appreciation of the world outside of just your four walls and and what in terms of work in different countries?
1: I I think it did. But to be honest, you know, I had lived in very diverse cultures even before I went to Canada. I think Canada took it to the next level. So, you know, when I was born in my formative years, I'm told the first language I learned was uh, Nepali. It right. was an orderly at home. Uh, was And obviously, I don't remember the language now. And you know I lived, as I said, in mountainous areas. And Sikkim nowadays is, of course, much more developed. I mean, that day and age, we used to live on this bungalow on top of a hill. And literally, there were like shepherds down there, I still remember. So it was a very, very different world versus a big city like Delhi. Um, so you know even at that young age, I had kind of realized that the world's very different. There are all kinds of people all kinds of cultures, languages. I think Canada took it to the next level um, uh, because then you're in a completely different environment, a different country, uh, different seasons. I mean, my first thing I remember about Canada is the cold. Uh, we landed up sometime in August or September and then winter hit. I had never seen cold like it before. Yeah. And uh, and I think it just in many ways, I think, uh, made me adaptable because um, uh, and in my career, What I've come to realize is the more you soak in differences, the better you become. Uh, I mean, if you are surrounding yourself with people who are like you, who think like you, who speak like you, chances are you're not learning. So that's one thing where certainly it shaped me in my outlook to life and my career is to welcome diversity of thought, uh, to really seek out people who have different experiences so that you can learn from them.
0: Yeah, great. And, and it sounds like you were very driven from an early age. So I'd be curious, what were some of your kind of aspirations growing up? Is there someone you looked up to or something you wanted to be at that young age? You mentioned being a writer, but more broadly? To be entirely honest with it, I don't think I've been, you know,
1: I, I, I classify myself as being very driven uh by the idea of achievement or promotion or progress or getting to a certain position even today to be honest um you know now i've been working for 25 years even today you know i'm not driven by i'd like to become x or i'd like to get to a certain position i think the big thing that's uh, driven me throughout my life is find stuff you're passionate about and do it and be full on about doing it and secondly how can you really make a big impact to those around you? And uh, those are, I think, the two things that have uh, driven me since I was pretty young. And I'd say the people I have learned from who influenced me from an early age. You know, I mentioned my mom and you know, it's not one specific conversation, but, you know, a number of different conversations uh, uh, we've had over the, the years when I was growing up. Uh, so I remember, you know, when I used to make up these stories Uh, And, you know, my first spark of inspiration in actually taking it beyond just writing stuff for myself was I uh, read an interview by Stephen King where he said, when anyone pays you a cent for your written work, you're a published author. So I had some stuff written at home. I solved the maths textbook for the next term, stapled it together and sold it to my classmates. Uh, And I was 11 years old, so I came back home with $12.50 as my first, you know, quote-unquote royalty. Uh, (laughs) And, you know, my mom said, wonderful. And she took me out for ice cream. And, you know, she said, hey, if this is what you're passionate about, uh, don't hold back. And, you know, when I um, was in school back in India, I mean, in India, any kid who's good at academics, you know, especially back then was either trying to be a doctor or an engineer. I didn't want to be either. And I didn't know what I wanted to be. I was just curious about the world. Uh, That was a period of time when the world was changing, the Berlin Wall had fallen, the Cold War was ending, the Indian economy was liberalizing, and I just told my mom, hey, I'd like to figure out more about this. So after grade 10, I actually studied uh, the arts, I studied history, economics, and my mom said, hey, if that's what you're passionate about, learn. Um, And I remember my principal asking, hey, I mean, what's wrong? You're the top student in school. Don't you want to become a doctor or go to an IIT? And my mom said, hey, if that's what he loves doing, let him do it. He'll figure out what he wants to be. So I think that environment of really getting the space to figure out who you are, what you enjoy, what you're passionate about. I really saw the benefits of that versus, you know, being on a rat race to chase a position or an entrance into a particular college. So my mom played a huge role, I think, in awakening that in me. Um, I, I think a couple of other people I'd say growing up who I really admired and loved was, uh, you know, one is my grandfather. Uh, he was an interesting guy. Um, you know, he uh, was somebody who actually spent some time in jail during the Indian uh, freedom right. struggle. Uh, you know, protesting against British rule, and he was a brilliant guy. Um, he wrote his exams from jail, and he ended up standing first in the university. And you know, again, you know, at that time, people said, "Hey, why don't you join the government? Uh, it's a wonderful job." And he said, "No, I'm not going to join a foreign government." And he ended up being part of the first batch of uh, Indian police service officers after India gained independence. And he had a long and distinguished career in government service. And what I think he taught me. Through example, through his stories, were a couple of things. One is having the courage to stand up for what you believe in and doing what's right, even if it means taking hits along the way. And you know that focus on integrity, standing up for what you believe in, is something I really admired about him, and I try and do. And the second big thing I learned about from him and my dad, my dad had a similar career. He uh, spent a lot of time in uniform in the police. Is from both of them, is what does it mean to lead people. You know, in the corporate world we talk about leadership a lot. And at that time I didn't know I was going to be in the corporate world. But the stories I I used to hear from them where when you're actually leading people in a context where they might have to put their lives at risk because of you or because of the mission, nobody's doing it for the money. Nobody's doing it just because you order them to. It's creating empathy, creating loyalty, really looking after your people, not putting your people uh, in a position where you're asking them to do anything you wouldn't do yourself leading from the front, so those stories I used to hear from my grandfather and my dad really cemented in my mind i guess a uh, orientation on what it actually means to lead people um, what it actually means to create followership versus you know just using your position to uh, get people to do what you want, what it means to inspire people. so I think my family and many of them in their different ways played a big role in shaping me
0: mm. Now, I know from a study point, you studied a Bachelor of Economics and then did an MBA at, at IIM, which for the listeners listening, that perhaps I'm from India, is quite a renowned college of study in India. Can you, can you share with listeners that period in your life? Did you know what you wanted to do post that and, and how did you make the move into your first role at PNG, I believe?
1: Yeah, so again, you know, with it, I think the consistent theme I'd say is I never planned much. I didn't have a big master plan of this is what I wanted to do after MBA. A lot of what I did or chose was guided by uh, what seemed to uh, excite me, what I had passion for. So in my first year of MBA, I was just soaking it in. I didn't know what I wanted to do, to be honest. Mm. Uh, a, a lot of clarity as far as my career came uh, when I did my summer internship. So I, entered, I interned with Unilever. And, you know, this was back when a lot of the big consultancy firms and investment banks were expanding in a big way in India. They were coming to business schools and hiring people at really, you know, at that time, uh, high packages. And what I loved about what I did in my internship was, you know, the light bulb went on in my head that, you know, this is actually all about people. It's about understanding consumers. It's about working with teams. It's about working with retailers. And it's about making real stuff happen. So I still remember, I mean, I was working on a project in their foods division and you know, I was an intern. So I literally was heat sealing some samples together and, you know, going into a consumer home and talking to a lady, understanding what she did, going back and getting feedback. And I said, this is fun because you're working on things that are going to become a part of people's lives, that people are going to use. You're going to be part of creating brands which become a part of popular culture, become a part of, you know, how people relate to their families, how they relate to life, you're working on stuff that's going to show up on shelves. And that whole idea of creating concrete impact, understanding people. And you know, I, at that time, I was passionate about writing, I'd written a couple of books in college, the whole idea that it's about also connecting the dots, coming up with insights, creating ideas. So when I came back from internship, I was convinced that, hey, this is what I think I'll have fun doing. Uh, And in my uh, final placements, you know, I applied only to Procter & Gamble and Unilever. So the night before my interview, my dad called me and said, hey, so how's it going? And I said, hey, this is what I want to do. And he said, my friend, are you sure? What if you don't get either job? And I said, no. You know, when you're 21 years old and you think you have it all figured out, I said, hey, this is where I think I'll have fun. And that's kind of what really got me interested in the world of consumer products. And, you know, that's what I've enjoyed ever since. It's been almost 25 years, uh, but that's what's made it fun so far.
0: Mm. Yeah, that really resonates with me because I think when I look at my journey, I think I was very similar in, in, in school and in university. I didn't really know what I wanted to do. And my dad was in the business world. So I said, okay, I'll study business because it sounds interesting and it sounds like you can connect the dots. And then one thing led to another and I similar to you, I'm in the consumer mm-hmm. FMCG space. So I think it's fascinating where I think a lot of people often ask me is, is how did you go from one step to another? But I think listening to you, it sounds like sometimes those things sort of fall in place if you know what what fulfills you in life. Absolutely. Mm. Now, now, we like talking on the show about magic moments, because I think, again, taking inspiration from my own journey, there's been a lot of moments that, in that period of time can be quite challenging or can be quite unique, or Mm -hmm. there might be people you've met to go, I don't really appreciate it, but looking back, you learn a lot from it. I know you've had quite a diverse journey to date, and I wonder if you could share some of those magic moments that you've had in both life and work, looking back, that you think were quite pivotal and they were quite influential. Well,
1: I guess, uh, for, for me, uh, you know, one of them I've mentioned about, which is, you know, when I was a kid and really for the first time, that idea came into my head that, hey, I can be a writer. And yeah, yeah, it was a stapled booklet of a few pages. But I think that was kind of when a light bulb went into my head that, you know, creativity isn't just about me making up stuff, you know, the joy of sharing stories with people. Uh, so that, that clearly was one of those magic moments. You know, I've talked about my... First time, I realized what excites me about work, which is the whole idea of understanding people, working on uh, ideas that are going to make a difference to people's lives, working with people in teams when I was an intern, which kind of shaped my choice of career. So as I fast forward a little bit into, you know, uh, a couple of other incidents or times in my life, which really played a big role into shaping me into who I am, I'd say one was you know at that time it was obviously a very difficult time of my life, but I think I learned a lot from it is when my mom passed away. So I uh, lost her in two thousand and one to cancer and uh, so it isn't one specific incident, but if I think about those you know maybe a year or so before that and a few years after that, uh, I learned a lot about who I am, what matters, and how I could spend the rest of my life. so You know, that was an incredibly tough period of my life. So on the one hand, you know, I got promoted. I was moving to a new uh, job in Singapore from Bangkok, where I was at that time, and my mom had a relapse of cancer. She had beaten it uh, earlier. And I remember just being so torn about choices in life. So I used to fly back very often, you know, sometimes every weekend to be with her when she was having treatments. And I was really torn. And, uh, you know, things were actually looking up. My mom said, Hey, I'll be with you in Singapore soon. The doctor's saying things are actually looking really upbeat. So I actually got a bag with her clothes and belongings with me to Singapore. I still have that bag with me, by the way, where we were actually planning that, hey, in a month or so, she and my dad are going to be with me in Singapore and they'll spend many months with me. And then all of a sudden, I was on a business trip uh, to the Philippines. My dad called and said, things are really looking tough. And uh, you need to be here. So I caught a flight and I landed in Delhi about a couple of hours after she passed away. So that that just hit me so badly. So at the time I was devastated. Um, but you know, obviously, as I look back, as I reflected on that period of time, I think the big thing that that whole period of time taught me is: look, don't plan too far ahead. Live in the moment. Do the best you can here and now. Be there for people here and now uh, because life is uncertain. All of us have a limited period of time. So make the most of each and every day versus really planning long term. I think the second thing that happened through that period of time was me really rediscovering who I am, who I meant to be is, uh, you know, after I had passed out of business school, got into uh, uh, p and started my corporate career, I kind of lost touch with writing. And, you know, it's the whole pressure of your career, you're in the corporate world, you want to do well. And I had not written much for some years. And one of my last conversations with my mom, uh, when I had gone to visit her in Delhi, was, you know, she just said, hey, you're going to do amazing things in your career. I know you can do whatever you want. You'll have great jobs. But, you know, one thing I'd like for you to do is have that joy on your face you did when you were a little kid making up stories. So write. And uh, I, I promised my mom I'd write a book a year till I died. And I'm still keeping to that promise because I think that really reconnected me with who I was. I, I, I realized then that, hey, I'm not the guy whose purpose in life is to run on the rat race and you know get promoted. Yeah, of course I want to do well in my career. I want to make a positive impact. But the authentic me is also the person who likes making up stories and sharing stories with people. And she really reconnected me with that. Mm. So that was a very tough period of time for me. But uh, I I think in many ways, it shaped me into who I became after that is somebody who really focuses on living in the moment uh, on, you know, making a difference here and now, making a positive impact on people here and now instead of putting things off. Uh, Second is really the importance of being true to who you are, you know, really embracing your authentic self that, you know, you can't be successful and happy trying to be someone else. All of us are different, but really then being true to that. Mm-hmm. And I guess the other par, other phase of my life uh, where I think I really had a big transformation was uh, when I met Puja, who I uh, married and now we've been married for more than 15 years. So after my mom passed away, uh, I was writing, uh, You know, I was doing well in my career, but I was keeping a lot of things bottled up. I was trying to deal with all of the issues I had myself I used to drink a lot. I was very unfit. I was probably more than 30 kgs uh, heavier than I am now. And I think when she came into my life, I think she really is somebody who believes in positive thinking, in uh, thinking about possibilities. And uh, I realized that, look, I have a lot to live for. I have, there's a lot I can do. you know. So I really got, I cleaned up my act. I stopped drinking, pretty much went cold turkey, started running regularly got back in shape and pretty much have kept that weight now for, you know, more than 16 years Mm. and really said, look, how do I really now start focusing my time on making a positive difference? She used to volunteer, you know, with special needs kids, with the Make-A-Wish Foundation. I joined her in getting involved in some of that. So I think that was the other big transformation where I said, when you can look towards the future with hope, Um, you can really then focus the time you have on making a positive difference to others. So um, those are some of the events that have shaped me. I mean, honestly, none of them are related to the world of work, Mm. but they shape how I behave at work as well, which is the impact you make is not uh, the numbers you deliver here and now. It's the impact you make on people. It's how you leave behind memories, how you help people succeed. It's about being your true authentic self, encouraging others to be true to themselves. It's about not procrastinating, you know, don't leave stuff unsaid and undone. Uh, It's about making the most impact you can to your teams every single day. So I think that whole period of my life has played a huge role in shaping me into who I am, you know, Mm. at work and outside.
0: Yeah, I'm really glad you mentioned those those personal examples because I think for a lot of listeners who are perhaps early in their career or trying to figure out where to go in life, I think it's always inspiring to hear from someone like you being that candid, because I think one of the things that came to mind for me was one of the guests on the show previously, Sam Kristo, one of the quotes he mentioned is, no amount of success at work can make up for failure at home. Absolutely. And that you sort of capture that really well in your examples. Um, and I think the other thing around your mother's death, it really resonates with me because I think I, I, I had an incident like that early on in my career where I had a severe car accident because I was working I was working 15 hours that day and I didn't sleep and I went from work to, to another place for work and I sort of thought I was tough and I, was, I could sort of do anything, right? And, and I had a car accident where I could have passed away. But I was oh. very fortunate that I survived, but I think that gave me a new sense of appreciation of family and mm-hmm. people around mm-hmm. you, to your point. So I think it's always interesting hearing those stories where often a drastic incident makes you reflect um is there is there something your younger self i think as you, as you think of when you started your career perhaps in your mid, mid to late 20s that your younger self would have told you for where you are today that perhaps would have been wrong perhaps that younger naive may had some vision of where you are today that actually turned out differently
1: I guess uh, the one thing I see is when I was younger, especially when I'd begun my career, I I think the tendency is a lot of people at that life stage define success in a pretty unidimensional way. Uh, And, you know, let's face it, when you start working, you're in a competitive environment, you know, you start thinking of success as being how do I progress in my career? How do I get the next promotion? How do I get the next raise? You know, to a very large extent, it can seem like that's what success is. Um, and I think as I have grown in, as a person and in my career, I've realized that, you know, success is never unidimensional. Ultimately, even in the corporate world, if you really want to be successful, it's not about you. It's about others around you. You know, as you, especially as you start becoming responsible for people, it is no longer about you. You're succeeding through people, with people, along with people. And um, so, you know, in my first, I'd say three, four years, you know, I, that really hit me when I actually had people starting to report into me when you realize, hey, you know, it's not about me anymore. And I think the same thing applies to the broader context of your pro journey in life. You know, when you get married, it's no longer about you anymore. When you have a kid, it's no longer about you anymore. And I think that's the biggest thing I never realized when I began my career is that ultimately success in life and in your career is not about you. It's about taking people along. It's about creating the right environment for people. It's about winning as a team. It's about uh, helping others succeed. Um, and, you know, if I had known that when I began working, maybe I would have done things a bit differently. Maybe I would have focused a bit more on relationships. Maybe I would have figured out some of the things It took me a few hard knocks in life to figure out, over time uh, but that's i think what i didn't know when i began working which i now know
0: hmm. yeah and, and one of the things i'd love to double click on from your journey to date i think is the diverse experiences that you've had not just in terms of role but to what you said earlier in terms of different geographies and cultures because mm-hmm. i think as you probably touched on there's a lot of learnings that you can get that apply to your way of thinking and your kind of sense of leadership right could you could you share some of that like how what were some of your learnings during that process working in Bangkok, Singapore, Mumbai, that that looking back you think were really positive experiences?
1: I guess uh, you know one of the things with it, you know, I've learned, you know, so as you mentioned, I've lived across these locations and, you know, through the various roles I've had, I've managed businesses and teams in many, many different places, you know, all the way from China to Australia, Korea, Japan, Southeast Asia, Middle East. And, uh, you know, from what what I've really learned from that, there is, especially in the industry we're in, which is consumer packaged goods, one of the things I've learned is consumers, what they need, the values they have are more similar than different. And uh, however, it's balancing that with really understanding what the local nuances are, what the local insights are. So that's been, I think, a really enriching learning journey for me, because it's not just about the business and the brands, but it's fundamentally about understanding different cultures, understanding how people think. And I think that, for me, has been a really gratifying piece of learning. You know, When you talk to a consumer in the rural Philippines or in small-town India or in the Middle East uh, or in Indonesia, what you realize is fundamentally, people are more similar than not. They want a better tomorrow for their families. They want to look forward to life with a sense of optimism. They want to surround themselves with people and things which are giving them that hope for a better future. So that, of course, has its implications for, you know, brand building and how can you create brands with scale. But more fundamentally, that gives me hope. You know, living uh, in times when, you know, sometimes people are so quick to divide themselves on religion, on language, on politics. I mean, that whole journey has given me a lot of hope that, hey, when enough people can figure out that we're actually more similar than different. You know, we'll probably have a world which is more tolerant, uh, more tolerant of diversity, is able to look beyond the differences. So that's one big thing. I think the second thing that I've learned is how do you really work across very diverse cultures? You know, having lived in different places and worked with colleagues and teammates and people in my team who are from very, very different backgrounds, I think that's further reinforced in me the whole idea of don't stereotype, don't label people. You know, how do you get to know each person for who they are? Uh, go beyond the superficial differences and really understand who they are as people, how you can help them succeed. Uh, and that shaped me in a big way. Um, uh, and that's really uh, given me some insights onto, you know, how do I want to lead people? So one of the things I love doing when I get into any new team is, uh, really meeting with as many people as I can one on one, and it's not about understanding work; it's about mm-hmm. understanding people. So what I do is I share hey, this is who I am as a person. You know, take away the labels of you know my degrees and my designations. This is who I am as a person. This is what I'm passionate about. This is, uh, you know, what drives me. And then trying to understand each person for who they are. Uh, and you know, that whole experience is really given me an appreciation for doing that, because otherwise, you know, you could go into a country and, you know, you get all the stereotypes that this is how people there work. And you realize, Mm -hmm. look, that's unfair. Every person's different. Every person has their own story. Uh, And taking the time to understand that, valuing that, I think is what I've learned is a key to unlocking success for your teams, making a difference to people in your team.
0: Mm. Yeah, I think one of the things that I'd be really curious about from that is the different office cultures, because like you said, you go, when you go into a different environment, it is a sense of first seeking to understand before you can perhaps yeah. share your vision, right? Because you are trying to set a vision. What, what was yeah. that process like for you? And I wonder if you can share an example where you made the move into these different sort of cultures. Were there any sort of tips that you can share with the listeners on how you seek to understand?
1: Well, I guess the first thing, as you said, is what's really important is seek to understand where people are right now, why they're doing what they're doing right now. I think the temptation for any new leader coming in is to come in and say, hey, I have all the answers. The reality is no leader has all the answers. So my going in bias is to assume that people as intelligent or more intelligent than me have been running the business. Uh, So, you know, not come in assuming that I necessarily know better, but really spend the time to understand why are we where we are? What has happened? Second, understand what success looks like for people. And most importantly, not for people in the leadership team or people in fancy boardrooms, but for the broad cross section of the organization. You know, what drives this organization? How would people define success? And then, you know, of course, there is a part of, you know, where do you as a leader want to take the business? What would uh, provide success for the organization, but then marry the two. So if I take a real example, when I uh, first moved back to Mumbai in um, uh, 2014. I was moving back to India after 15 years abroad. I, I was heading up the business for General Mills. And, you know, my big thing was I'm not going to come in as the new leader who has all the answers. So I invested a lot of time in getting to meet people one-on-one. I did literally hundreds of one-on-ones in the first few months, uh, which included not just people in the leadership team, but, you know, people frontline in sales at the factory the youngest employees just trying to understand what's on people's mind what are they looking for what are things that uh, would resonate with them so you know in parallel there was a strategic look at the business to understand where we needed to go but marrying that with what people wanted so you know what what i realized through that journey was you know what people were broadly feeding back were two different sets of messages one was they really were part of a global organization but they wanted to feel that sense of connection, taking to the next level, which is, look, how do we really benefit from being part of a global organization, whether it's opportunities to grow your career, best practices, capabilities. At the same time, they wanted much more empowerment. They wanted much more of an entrepreneurial feel. And, uh, you know, I uh, used the time to understand what people needed, married that with what we needed to do on the business, which was you know expand into some uh, faster moving categories, build some new muscles and capabilities, and really brought that together into uh, something that could galvanize the organization. And this is where I think my night job as a writer helps. So in the writing business, I always say, you know, what's your elevator pitch? So, you know, when you're trying to bring an organization together, you know, it's not necessarily a big slide deck or a poster. So we said, hey, we're going to win with the mind of a multinational and the heart of a startup which is we're going to take everything that comes with being part of a great multinational company, but bring that to life in a non-hierarchical, non-siloed way, uh, where there's transparency of sharing, where we're moving to action, where we're not getting caught up in hierarchy and how we share ideas. Anybody who has an idea can... Uh, find a voice at the table so that was an example where you know that whole idea of understanding people beyond what they say superficially superficially people are going to say yeah we want success on the business we want promotions but fundamentally what what drives them what are they seeking understanding that marrying that to what the business needs and then crystallizing that into something which can galvanize the team uh, and energize them so that's an example of where I've kind of been through that journey
0: Hmm. Now, leading up to this interview, I was watching one of your interviews on YouTube, and and I think you asked what is one of the benefits of working in FMCG, and you mentioned the fact that it's end-to-end, the experience is very end-to-end. And I think what fascinates me about that, when I look at my own journey, or even people that have come on the show, is operational versus strategic experience. Mm -hmm. And you've obviously done both. You're now leading countries and geographies and enterprises. Could you could you maybe give a lens from your experience of how people can move from that operational experience into a bit more of a strategic experience? Well,
1: I'd say with it the first thing I'd encourage anyone especially people who are early in their career is to figure out what's fun for them. You know what are they passionate about because the reality is you have All kinds of people in the world. Some people are great at analytical work. Some people are great at driving strategies. Some people uh, have the joy of getting their hands dirty and making things happen every day. So I'd say early in their careers, I think people should reflect on what they enjoy doing more uh, and not chase a definition of success because somebody else has done it. And I think that's the biggest advice I can give people because that can then guide them in the kind of roles they seek, the kind of careers they seek, the kind of experiences they seek. So that's the first thing. I'd say the second thing is if people want to get into general management, if they want to lead organizations or enterprises, the biggest tip I'll give people is what you need more than any other skill is adaptability. There are going to be days and times and meetings where you're going to have to really zoom out and think about what's going to happen five years out and you know how how do you think about long-term brand strategy and there are going to be days when you're really focused on what's going to happen next week next month because there's an imminent issue which needs to be managed Uh, and i think so those are the two pieces of advice i'd give is you know first reflect on what you enjoy what you're passionate about and uh, if you do want to pursue a career where you want to lead businesses and teams end to end, you're going to have to adapt. Uh, you can't just be a leader who says, hey, I'm, I'm going to focus on uh, strategy, so don't bother me with the details. And you, On the other hand, you can't be so focused on the here and now that you're not able to envision the future. So I'd say it's a combination of that, that every one of us has a natural inclination or strength. And as you grow, recognize you need to round yourself off get experiences around yourself of surround yourself with people who can help you in areas which may not be your natural strength um, uh, so that you continue to grow and that self-awareness is helping you grow in a direction which is true to you but also sets you up for success the way you define it.
0: Mm, yeah, very actionable. Awesome. Now, moving on to your hustle, which is specifically your work, um, one of the things I love asking is, and you mentioned elevator pitch earlier, so if, if, say, you were in an elevator with someone and they asked you what you do, how would, how would you describe your recent roles?
1: Well, I'd say uh, what I do is primarily help others succeed. Uh, that's what I do. Because if you think of it, when you're the CEO of a business, you're not making anything and you're not selling anything. So you're actually pretty useless. Mm. If you just sit in an office, the only way you're going to be useful is if you're understanding what teams need to succeed, whether it's putting the right talent in the right place, creating capabilities where capabilities need to be put, sharpening the focus or vision where it needs to be sharpened, ensuring people have the right resources, uh, you know, busting barriers when your teams are hitting roadblocks, providing clarity where there's not clarity, you know, that's, I think, what a leader needs to do. Um, So if somebody asks me, what do you do? I say, look, I help a bunch of people succeed, and through that, the whole organization succeeds. So, you know, one of the things that that has led me to do is throughout my career, I've never had an office, never. Uh, And I I don't like spending much time at a desk because I feel, look, if I'm in a consumer-facing business, I need to be with people who are doing that every day. I need to meet consumers and shoppers every day. So I spend most of my time with people, understanding what help they need, Understanding what's happening uh, at the front lines, seeing consumers, seeing shoppers, meeting customers so that I know where help is needed, what it looks like uh, so that I can actually be most effective in uh, providing it. So one of my old bosses made the statement, which still uh, resonates with me, is that the only good thing that gets made in a big headquarters office is a quick and fast decision. All the other actions out there. Mm. And uh, that's kind of how I try and lead. Uh, and um, that's what's shaped me as a leader for many years. Mm,
0: great. Now, I, I know looking at your LinkedIn, you made a move in the last couple of months where you've gone from General Mills to Kimberly Clark and you're leading the Australia, uh, the India and South Asia business. Well, I think one of the things that I'd, I'd be curious to understand is how did you mentally prepare for that transition? I think particularly when you're making it in that senior role, like you said, to help others. Was there anything mentally that you do in your own spare time to prepare yourself when you make those transitions?
1: I guess, you know, when I have made any of my career transitions, and to be honest, I haven't worked with a large number of organizations. You know, this is my uh, third organization I'm working with. Uh, So when any opportunity comes my way, you know, the questions I ask myself are pretty simple, which is, am I going to be part of an organization whose values make sense to me? And that's, I think, really important, uh, because what I've realized is, Ultimately, you want to be part of an organization which fundamentally is wired from a value standpoint, similarly to how you are. Second, am I going to be working on things that excite me? And third, am I going to be working with people and along with people who I'm going to enjoy working with? So, you know, whenever I have evaluated opportunities that have come my way, I ask these relatively simple questions. You know, I don't start with what's the designation, you know, what's the package? Yeah, to some extent, those are hygiene factors and you want to look at them. But for me, these are the big differentiators. So, you know, as I made the latest transition, you know, the first thing I tried to figure out is, hey, what is, what is this organization? What does it believe in? What's important to it? And many things uh, about it rang true for me. Second is... Uh, you know will i be working on uh, things that excite me you know this is an organization that's looking for transformational growth in this part of the world that's something that excites me is building something scaling things up making a disproportionate impact and the third is i had some good friends who were in the organization so i had a bit of an insight into what it's like to be part of that team the kind of people who are there and uh, you know those are the questions i ask uh, when opportunities come my way and you know one of the things I'll say is, you know, when I was much younger, I probably didn't think of it that way. Mm. You know, I still think of, you know, when I was an ABM and PNG and an opportunity had come my way, I'd start with, hey, what's the designation and what's the salary? And I think over time, you realize it's the culture, the people, um, the mission you're on, you know, do those make sense to you? And ultimately, that's what leads to sustainable success.
0: Mm. And, and out of all your experiences in your career, career to date is there a six month period that stands out for you that is the most energizing of fun that you look back on fondly uh to be honest uh, with it no i mean i am the kind of guy who believes
1: you should have fun every day if you're not go do something else yeah. and uh if i mean i i always tell people look doing a job because you're earning a salary is of course a reality but it's a sad way of spending your life uh, I, I want to be doing stuff and being with a team which is doing stuff because you're getting up every morning with a fire in your belly saying, I'm going to work on stuff that's fun, that's going to be impactful. And whenever I find myself uh, in a funk where I, I find that, hey, I'm not finding stuff that's really energizing, I inject that in. Uh, I say, look, maybe I'm in a day where you know I'm dealing with a bunch of crises and obviously I have to do it. You know, I say, look, let me have a conversation with a couple of people who I think uh, I could learn from or somebody in the team needs help with something. Let me just have a conversation and spend a good conversation on, hey, how can I help somebody? So at the end of the day, end of every single day, I literally ask myself, look, have I been the best possible husband and father I can be? Have I made a positive difference to somebody at work? Have I done things that I'm energized about? Have I written a little bit? Then I, if the answers are more or less, yes, I've had a good day. So, you know, I kind of believe in living every day and, you know, every day isn't fun for everyone. Let's face it, that's reality. But when that's happening, saying that, hey, how do I inject in something that's going to give me energy? Mm. Um, and that's kind of how I've lived every day for a long time now.
0: Mm. And, and from a learning perspective, Manak, how do you continue to learn? Are there are there people you keep in touch with that are your mentors or books you read or websites you consume to keep yourself in in check and keep yourself continuing to expand?
1: I I guess a combination of all of them. So, um, you know, I have a a few people I really trust who know me for many years, uh, uh, who have been friends and mentors. So, you know, whenever I'm at a fork in the road or I need to figure something out, I reach out uh, and I ask for advice. I get their thoughts on um, uh, things that I'm thinking of. Um, The second is, uh, you know, really my uh, family. So my wife, Pooja, plays a big role, I think, in being a uh, sounding board, you know, being somebody who keeps me honest to who I am, keeps me uh, in line with who, you know, what my authentic self is. I read very widely. I read all kinds of stuff. To be honest, I don't read a lot of business books, yeah. uh, but I, I read a lot of stuff, um, you know, very diverse genres, science, history, historical fiction, fantasy. So I read a lot. At any given time, I'm probably reading two different books. Uh, so those are things I learned. The other part where I feel I really learn a lot is through people. So, you know, By nature, I am probably more introverted, but I love having deep connections with people. So one of the places where I learn a lot is, I mentioned the one-on-ones, Is just learning from every single person's journey, understanding who they are, what they've been through. Uh, You know, sometimes you've been through similar things and you create that sense of empathy, but other times some you meet people who have been through experiences which make you think about things in a different way. So for me, that's how I learn. I, I learn... A lot through conversations, a lot through hearing people's stories, a lot through experiences I have. Uh, That's kind of how I keep learning and keep my mind fresh. Mm.
0: Now, before we move on to the final segment, the final sprint, one thing I'm really keen to ask you is your LinkedIn. I know you do these posts that are leadership in 100 words, and and I love them. And and that's actually one of the ways we connected. Um, Could you share the process that you go through to come up with that reflection? Because I think they're, they're very... One, they're very actionable, and two, they've, they're really clear reflections that you share from your own journey or from something you've seen in, in someone else. H- how do you come up with those? And then also then, how do you choose the ones to share on LinkedIn? Because I'm sure from your journey, you've got many leadership and 100-word reflections, right?
1: Yeah. So I, I guess, you know, this whole thing started where, you know, I, if I look at all the things I, I, I enjoy doing and I'm good at, there's one thing which I'm probably not wonderful at is process. Uh, so I'm naturally not a guy who's big on, you know, I'm going to pen down things and I'm going to pencil down things. So this whole idea behind um, these posts started one day where, you know, after a meeting, I was catching up with uh, one of my teammates uh, over coffee or drinks, and he said, hey, you know, you said something in that meeting which really stuck in my mind, and, you know, I've been thinking about it a lot. So I said, well, what was it? I honestly don't know because I because I'm because I'm normally somebody who's going with the flow. You know, something strikes me, I'll say it or do it. And then he told me what I'd said. And he said, look, that made a very deep impression on me. Um, And then that happened a couple of other times. And then this person who's actually a close friend of mine now said, look, why don't you put this down? And so that's how it really started, which is Uh, for me it's less about me dispensing wisdom to be honest I'm not that pretentious you know I'm, I'm no smarter than the next guy I screw up as much as the next guy it's more of and I don't even plan this out deliberately I don't have a master plan of this is the topic I'll talk about it's almost as I am seeing things hearing things figuring things out reinforcing in my mind maybe things that made sense to me or seeing something which I think hey maybe things should be different, I've gotten into the habit of now just pinning it down. And uh, that's how it started. Uh, And, you know, so over time, you know, people would joke, you know, some of the people who knew me really well would joke, hey, who are you referring to in this post? And I said, no, no, this is not meant to, you know, point at a person. It's more meant to just say, hey, I, I thought of something today or I saw something that made me think or I heard somebody who made me think in a certain way. And I'm just putting it down. Uh, and, you know, now it's lasted, I think, over a year now. Mm. And uh, it, it's become fun because for me, it's uh, what I've also realized is the engagement I can have then with people who have either seen the same thing, related to it, or in some cases, they have a different point of view, which is absolutely fine. Uh, but through that, you're creating dialogue, you're learning from each other, and that's how it started and what's made it fun. Mm-hmm. But yeah, there's no master plan. There's no yeah. process. Yeah. It's pretty much flow of consciousness. Something comes, comes to my mind, I put it down and uh, really use that to uh, have those
0: discussions. Mm, and, and those generally are the best ones, right? The ones that are organic and not structured. I think I think to your point, what you said, the thing that I love about it also is that it is engaging where I've noticed myself when people comment on it, you do reply and you do try and understand their point of view, which I think to me is fascinating because there's a lot of people on social media who post stuff but then don't engage with the audience post it. I think that in itself is inspiring, that you're not just writing it, but you're also giving people the time to understand the point of view. Absolutely. Now, we, we like finishing on the show with the final sprint, and you mentioned earlier that you've gotten back into running, so I'm hoping I can keep up with you. <laughs> <laughs> um, this is really rapid-fire round of questions to understand some of your habits and some of your inspirations. Yeah. Um, is there one investment that you've made that you consider the best in your life?
1: relationships
0: mm. i
1: think uh, i'm not fi- very financially savvy so nothing about what i've done with my money would make anybody think about me being a good investor but i think the best investment one can always make is whenever you meet people in whatever context or whatever period of time genuinely invest in that relationship
0: mm. well, one thing you'd like to learn in the next six months Uh, I guess the big thing I'd like to learn is
1: how does one continue to deepen and foster authentic relationships in the environment we're in now? So, you know, I've joined a new organization, I'm leading a new team, and I have never been to office, nor never met them physically. And that's the world we're in. So for somebody for whom a lot of the joy of work or joy of leading teams comes from creating those authentic relationships, getting to know people, is the reality of the world we live in now it's all virtual so how do I continue to bring that authenticity to life in a virtual world so I'm learning on how to do that Uh, I'm learning on how you know one of the things I'm learning is have more frequent conversations because Mm -hmm. if we were all together in an office you'd have so many opportunities to just catch up yeah Uh, and now I think we need to be just thoughtful and plan for it so that you're having more opportunities to engage with people
0: but that's something I think I'll have to continue to uh, uh, learn and get better at is there one quote that inspires you or that you've tried to apply in your life to date?
1: Ah, so I, I guess, you know, over different phases, I've had, um, um, uh, different quotes that have inspired me. One, which really resonates with me now is this quote by Maya Angelou, which is actually on my LinkedIn header, which is when you get give, when you learn teach. And I, I found that really inspiring because the whole idea is whatever you have, pass it on, mm-hmm. uh, make a difference to others. So that's something which really resonated with me. And, uh, I'm trying to see how I can bring that to life in what I do.
0: Hmm. Is there is there one book that you would give to others that you consider a really nice read?
1: Well, one book which I um, loved, which shaped me as a kid in a long in a big way, was Lord of the Rings by Tolkien. Okay. And uh, you know what I loved about it was just it, it blew my mind that somebody could create a whole new world. It's not just telling a story with its own history, its own genealogy, its own languages. And really creating that immersive world, you know, that for me just blew my mind as a young child. So in my my son, Adi is big time into reading as well. And one of when he started reading big books, that was one of the first books I gave him. So he's become a complete Tolkien fanatic as well. Okay. And um, I think for anybody interested in the power of imagination and what possibilities it can unlock. I mean, Tolkien for me is gold standard.
0: Yeah, great. And last one, is there one thing that you try and do each week to keep yourself optimized from a health perspective at work? Well, it's something I
1: actually do every day. So, uh, you know, A, I try and run every day. So I wake up really early and I run so that, you know, before my day job begins, before my family wakes up, you know, I'm doing stuff for my fitness. Um, The other thing I try and do is, you know, keep, just be conscious of having some, time for reflection in between meetings because otherwise I realize you know, all of us become slaves to our calendar and, uh, you know, you can just literally run from meeting to meeting and not really have time to decompress, think, figure things out. So one of the things I have figured out over time is the joy of just putting in slots in your calendar with just say block. (laughs) And uh, the code for that is, look, I'm not going to have meetings. I'm going to figure out things. I'm going to step back and think about things. That's the second one. And the third one, I think, is just being... Deliberate and disciplined about having time for family. Um, so, you know, I, I try not to do meetings um, after six in the evening, other than when I have calls with people in the US, etc. Uh, weekends are strictly no work time. So, you know, just making sure that um, through all the busy lives we have, you're getting time for your fitness, you're getting time to think through things yourself instead of just running from one meeting to another and ensuring you're getting time to, you know, re energize with. Uh, family so those are the kind of things I try and do every single day
0: mm, amazing man I, again I'm really glad that we connected you've shared I think the whole episode's been very actionable and that's definitely the point of the podcast is sharing actionable tips from people like yourself that can inspire others to fly high and be one percent better every day really enjoyed hearing some of your perspectives and and looking forward to sharing this with the listeners so thank you again and keep in touch
1: thanks so much vedid wonderful being here
0: There you have it. May nak dar. I hope you took away some actionable insights and learnings from this conversation to apply to your lives and be 1% better every day. And I look forward to sharing the next episode with you next Tuesday. Stay tuned.